I was looking here, and I was really praying about what direction to go. And and many of you know, on Wednesday night, I do I do uh, verse by verse, uh, try to do a chapter in in a book of the Bible, and we we go through that book. And uh, we finished up Second uh, Peter last time that I spoke, and so we're going to move. Uh, and I, we've been through many of the books of the New Testament, a lot of Paul's writings, uh, and James and Jude and. Uh, and many others, and then uh, also Peter's, and now I just felt compelled to go to First John. How many? How many have ever read the book of First First John, First, Second, and Third John? Uh, amazing uh, bit of scripture. Um, and as you know, First John was written by. It's not a trick question. It's written by John. All right, good. And um, and matter of fact, if you look at this writing, it, he actually he never actually says his name, and he never links it uh, his name with to this writing. But the style of writing that it is, uh, most scholars believe that it is John indeed writing. Matter of fact, there's some things, some key context in this that that are just John Johnish, I guess you could say John. I don't even know how to say that um, in in writing. But John John is a powerful epistle. Written by an old apostle, all right? The, the, the book of First, uh, First John is a powerful epistle written by an old apostle. That's hard to say really fast, just so you know. Um, but uh, all the apostles aside from Judas, um, so the other uh, 11, uh, 10 of them were martyred, uh, and they died martyrs' deaths. And uh, that's super interesting if you look at the history of that. You know, many of you know that Peter was crucified upside down outside of Rome and uh, was was sentenced to die. And they were going to crucify him. And he said, I can't be crucified like my Lord, so crucify me upside down. And so uh, he did, they did that to him. And uh, James was sawed in half. That's That's intense, right? I mean... Uh, if if somebody said, "Hey, I'm going to saw you in half," do you believe in Jesus Christ? Would you have the fortitude and the and the love for Christ to say, "Yes, yes, He is my Savior"? But He was sawn in half. Thomas was impaled by a spear when he was ministering uh, uh, as a missionary up near India. So all of them died. Uh, and, and Judas, obviously, he died early in, but he was not a martyr. But he he made the mistake of of uh, den- or not denying Jesus, but betraying Jesus, and then but. John is the only apostle who died of, of old age. It's not that he wasn't, didn't try to martyr him. It's just that he was just uh, one of those guys. And matter of fact, the emperor uh, Dimension uh, ordered John to be boiled in a cauldron of oil. Now, that would be a terrible way to die, right? <laughs> to be thrown into a, a cauldron of oil. And, and listen, they put John in that oil, and guess what? He did not boil, and how many know that God, God is with you? you? In the heat of life, God is always with you, amen? Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. I, I love that. So what do you do with somebody that won't boil? You, you banish them. You're just like, get out. And so they sent him to the island of, of Patmos, and, and, and they basically it's a barren island. He was to live in exile there, and there he would be inspired of the Lord to write, you know, many of you know this book, the book of Revelation, right? And God would give him, uh, you know, visions and, and things to write. And he would also write uh, this epistle, uh, John, you know, First John, Second John, and Third John here. 
in, in that moment. So, and these were written between about 95 A.D. and 110 A.D., just kind of a, that's, I know that's a little bit of a wide variance, but we don't know exactly the exact time that, that John did pass away. But John was very old, and when uh, he was in exile, after being in exile at Patmos, the, uh, he would leave there, and they would take him uh, to Asia Minor, where there were churches. He was the last living disciple of Jesus. How many would love to, to, to have John walk in here, the last living disciple of Jesus, to, to be able to talk to you? And so they would take him at his very old age, and people would want to hear him speak and hear him preach. And commentators uh, and commentaries tell us that he would walk in and he would preach uh, a one-sentence sermon. And he would say things like this, little children, love each other as Christ has loved you. And then he would walk out. Just don't get any ideals around here. That That's not the way that pastor works, okay? Um, but... Uh, it, it's interesting. I'm, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not, you know, some of you say, hey, pastor, you need to take a lesson from John, you know, keep it short, you know, uh, K-I-S-S. I could say keep it short, Skyle. So I, uh, um, but anyways, you could take that lesson. But I, I you know, I, not that my teaching is anything like Paul's, but I'm kind of like, like what Peter said about Paul, you know, he, 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 he's hard to understand. Okay. So that's, that's probably more like me. But John would say these things, and he would say things with authority, and uh, one who had spent time with Jesus. And listen to me. If you've spent any amount of time with Jesus, how many of you know that when you spend time with Jesus, you begin to change? Right? You can't help, but when you spend time with Jesus, your demeanor and your attitude uh, begins to change. And, and he changed drastically. He carried authority. The apostle John had Authority. Matter of fact, I mean, it takes a lot of authority uh, to be in exile and have God speak to you and, and write several books just when you're by yourself out in the middle of nowhere. So, um, so John, he says this, and he writes this a lot in his writings. He says this, John, the, the apostle uh, that Jesus loved, right? We hear that a lot about him. And, and I don't think he's saying this so much to be bragging about, you know, hey, Jesus loved me. I don't think it's so much that. I think he looked at this as, I cannot believe that Jesus loves me as much as he does. And um, uh, I think, it, I think honestly, that was his, he, I think he would be taken back and be like, man, I, I cannot believe that Jesus let me walk with him. I cannot believe that Jesus did the things that he did for me. And so John um, uh uh, you know, we know in Scripture that, that, that uh, well, what Paul's writings were based on grace, faith, hope, and love, right? Uh, you know, if you, look at, if you look at Paul's writing, he, the just shall live by faith, right? Uh, we learn about love in Corinthians, and we learn about the grace of God, and we learn about the hope of God. Peter's were based on uh, suffering. Now, nobody wants to get on board with, with Peter's. Suffering for the, for the sake of Christ. Holiness. Oh, man, you're losing me, Pastor, really fast. And salvation, right? But John's writings, a little bit different from these guys, all have different perspectives. He, he really talks a lot about the love of God. That, that is, he is the, the apostle of love. I want to say the apostle of love. And in this book, he talks about how God is a, uh, a, a light and, and love and, and the life of God. So the apostle of love, but not, not, not so much. If you look at when John was called, when he was called by Jesus, let's just say around A.D. 27 or so, John and his brother James were, 
where uh, they were the sons of Zebedee and Salome. I, I don't even know how to say her name. It looks like Salome almost, all right, his mom. And, and matter of fact, you know, they were fishermen, and Jesus called them, and he, and he called them by name. And he said, uh, you guys are Bonerges, and, and that literally means this, you guys are sons of thunder. Why would he call them that? Because they were a little bit hot-headed. Sons of thunder. How many of you guys uh, have two boys in your house? Sons of thunder, right? Sometimes it's WrestleMania, right? Sometimes it's who gets the last word, right? Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And so John, honestly, if you look at John's life, at the beginning of his life, he's a little bit of a hothead. You know, how do you say that, Pastor? Well, Luke, in Luke chapter 9, John told Jesus, <laughs> I love this story. He's, they're talking to the Pharisees, and he's had enough. And he looks at Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven and just burn these people up. I love John's tenacity here. He's like, this is it, it, this cracks me up too because he's not only not saying, "Hey Jesus, you should call down fire." He says, "Let's let us. I want to be part of that. Let's uh, let us." And uh, and so it's really interesting. But here's what happens: the more that John is around Jesus, the more there's a transformation within him, and it's a beautiful thing. And um, how many know the more that you the more time you spend with Jesus? the more of a transformation that there should be in your life. The more you read his word, there should be a transformation in who you are. You ought not be the same person that you were as a Christian six months ago that you are today. Matter of fact, you ought to be a better Christian today than you were yesterday, amen? And, and we do that by spending time with God. And so, uh, so as we hang out with Jesus, guess what? His nature begins to change us and it begins to rub off on us. And we go from hot-headed to loving. Amen? I want to look at your neighbor and say, hey, go from hot-headed to loving. All right. So First John, it, and this is a very short chapter we're going to be going through. And everyone said, boy, Pastor, you got a lot of faith if you think you can get through this chapter. It's only, it's only ten verses, but I promise you I'm going to do my best to, to get through this tonight. But I know there's a long intro here. But First John divides itself into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2, they discuss the light of God. Uh, the light of God, chapters 3 and 4 deal with the love of God, and chapter 5 deals with the life of God, okay? So John, he gives us in this, if you're a note taker and you want to break this down a little bit and, and uh, you know, you can, you can write these down. He, John gives us four reasons that we should read this epistle. I like this up front. He's already given us three, three things that he's going to talk about, but then he, and throughout this epistle as you read it, he gives us four reasons why we should read this. I'll, I'll share these with you. First John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us uh, we should read this, that our joy may be full. Everyone smile. How many are full of the joy of the Lord? How many are not full of the joy of the Lord? The altars are open. Amen? Man, we, when we read the word of God, the joy uh, of the Lord ought to rise up within us. Amen? Now, all right, so here's the second thing, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We read that the, the reason that we should read this epistle is that we should learn that we should not sin. Now, come on, somebody, right? We want the joy of the Lord, but guess what? We ought not sin against God. Here's the third one, 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. John warns us of false prophets. He begins to tell us about those who are teaching wrong things. How do you know if someone is a false prophet? 
Does it line up with this book? Is it in addition to this book? Then it's a false thing. If it's not in this book, okay? So, so that's how you know someone is a false prophet. For chapter, uh, uh, the fourth one here in 1 John chapter 5, it says that th the reason that we should read this epistle is that we might believe on the name of the Lord and have eternal life. So we got the joy of the Lord, uh, and we've, we've got that we won't sin, that we'll know who false prophets are. And number four, that I might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. I like that. So, so how do you know that you're? How do you know that you're saved? You stay in the Word of God. You you let it soak into you, and guess what? The Word of God begins to uh, the joy of the Lord begins to come out of you because the Word of God gets inside of you, and you're not worried about the conditions around you. Yeah, the world's bad, but guess what? God is good. Amen. And then, and then uh, uh, you know, here's the other thing. As we read the word of God, you know what? We begin to learn something. I am free from the curse of sin. I talked a little bit about this on Sunday. You can live. You can live. God has given you everything you need to live above the reproach of sin. Are you going to stumble? Yes, you're going to make mistakes. But let me tell you something. If you apply this word, if you build a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you let him transform you, guess what? Things that tempted you before, you can walk past because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen? So look at this. Look at this. Uh, uh, free from sin, to be aware of false prophets, and to know eternal life. So, so I love this. The son of thunder, everyone say John. The apostle of love, everyone say John. He wrote this beautiful epistle. So let's let's dive in right now. I know that was a little bit of a long introduction, but I think he's a very interesting character in, in the Bible. So First uh, John chapter one verse one says this: um, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse two: The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. All right. And testify to it and proclaim it to you that uh, the eternal life, which was the Father, and was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now there's a, there's a whole mouthful there, right? There's a lot in that, in that little bit of, of scripture right there. Here's what, what he's dealing with right here. John is dealing with something, and you've heard me talk about this in other people's writings. He's dealing with this group called the Gnostics, okay? The Gnostics. Does anybody know who the, who the Gnostics were? They, were? they were this group of people who thought they were intellectually above everybody else. Sounds like Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll throw that out. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Gnostics were people, a group of people who claimed... This is what they claimed. They believed they, they had some kind of intellectual uh, uh, thing that made them better than everybody, but they claimed that Jesus Christ was not ever in, in pure body form, but that he was like a, a phantom or, uh, you know, a, a spirit when he was here on earth, that he never had a flesh. And, and they used this uh, deception to, to basically say this, if Jesus didn't have a body, that means that I am spirit, and anything my body does is wrong, and, and, but because my body is not part of me, I can live how I want. 
And that's what Gnostics said. That's what, that's what they believed. And so they believed that their flesh was not part of their, their spirit, so they were not subject to what their flesh did. It was an excuse to sin. That's it, the bottom line. It was an excuse to sin because I'm not in control of my body. My body wants to do this. My spirit doesn't want to do this. And so it just happens. And so they, they used this. They twisted this teaching. And so John comes out. I mean, he comes out just swinging right off the get-go. Hey, I, I, need, to, I need to tell you guys something. They were, they were deep thinkers, and they were, wild, and they were behaving like wild animals. Even though they were intelligent, they were behaving like wild animals. Does that sound like society, society today? I don't know if any of you saw. I didn't watch it. I don't watch it. I didn't watch the Grammys, but I saw the – I don't watch any award shows. You know why? Because I don't think it's important to me. Matter of fact, if you stop watching it, they'll stop putting that stuff out. They'll just throw that out there. Um, but anyways, I, I, the Grammys. I mean, right now, I mean, we see the devil is on full-on attack. He's on full-on attack right now. And, and, and we have to know what the devil is trying to do. But you see, Paul – uh, when we look at Paul, the apostle, uh, the apostle of faith, he dealt with the Gnostics too. He called them out and said, hey, you guys are wrong. Peter, the apostle of hope, he dealt with them too. And now we see John, the apostle of love, he's dealing with them too. He's saying, hey, you guys got it wrong. Listen, I am an eyewitness to Jesus Christ, and I can tell you for sure that I saw him and that I knew him. And John walked this life with Christ, and and he could refute their foolishness because he saw him in person, incarnate as man, Jesus Christ. You remember John prayed with him, right? John was there with him when he transfigured. What did he transfigure from if he's a, if he's a phantom, right? So John saw him there. John was there when he broke bread. So John had this, this time with him, and, and, and there's so many more examples in Scripture. But John, John says this, I walked, I hung out with him, and I lived with him. And, I, I, and he says this to them. He says, I want you to have the same relationship with Jesus that I have. Well, how do we do that? How can we, how can we do that? There's two ways. How many remember the story of, of the road to Emmaus, right? And Jesus, after he is, has raised from, from the dead and and he is walking. He meets the, uh, uh, Cle Cleophas and Simon on the road, and they're walking along. And he's like, why are you guys sad? And they don't recognize him. And he said, oh, you must not be from around here. You don't know what's going on because our, our Savior died. And, 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 you know, we don't feel like there's any hope. And, and, and it's, it's interesting. As Jesus walked with them, he began to talk to them. He began to unpack the Old Testament, right? He began to tell them about the law, and he, this seven miles he walked with them is about what it took. And he began to unpack the law of Moses and how it all pointed to Jesus to him. And this is interesting. They, they couldn't see that it was Jesus while he's sitting there teaching. And when they invited him to come eat, and they, and is what the scripture says, when they got to where they were going, like, hey, you want to come in here and eat, then they began to recognize him. So there's something interesting here, two things I want you to, to note about this story. Jesus opened the word of God to them, and the word of God opened their eyes to Jesus. Let me say that again. Um, Jesus opened the word of God to them, and the word of God opened their eyes to Jesus. You want to see Jesus clearly? You want to know the character of God? Open this book. Know who he was. Know what the scripture says about him. And, and it's interesting. So here's the second thing he did. They broke bread. And, and here's something that we need to understand. Communion. When we take communion, 
listen to me. I, I know we talk about breaking bread and eating and all this, but listen, there's something important about communion. It's not a ritual that we do. Let me tell you what it does. It brings to remembrance what Christ did for us. It's why he came. It, it brings to remembrance who Jesus is. The table, when we're at the table of the Lord, we see Jesus clearly. He came with the mission that he came uh, to set us free. Amen. Look at this, verse 4. Told you, we're about halfway done. Amen. How many believe we'll get done tonight? Oh, man. <laughs> Whew. All right. All right. And we are, and he says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, Elton Trueblood, he's this classical preacher of the 20th century, he said it like this. The Christian is joyful not because he is blind to injustice and suffering, but because he is convinced that these, in the light of the divine sovereignty, are never ultimate. The Christian can be sad and often is perplexed, but he is never really worried because he knows that the purpose of God is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. Now let me, let me, I know that was a mouthful, but listen, this, let me, let me sum that up for you. In the end, God wins. That, that, I mean, I, he said, that, look, I just pulled the John. In the end, God wins. In the end, God wins. We have this joyous Christians because I've read the book. I know how it ends. Amen? I, I, I love it. Some of you guys need to get that down into your heart. Maybe you're walking around with a little bit of depression and, and something's on you. And listen, the joy of the Lord, what is our strength? And knowing that God has a plan and God has a purpose, and things might be chaotic in your life right now, but one day when you're standing uh, with, with the Lord in, in heaven and you're declaring praises to God, you'll say, man, God, you had it all together all this whole time. Happiness, listen to this, happiness deals uh, uh, John, well, John's saying this. He said, I'm building up your joy. I'm telling you things so you could get excited about what's happening. Happiness deals with one's mind and, and emotions in the realm of, our, of the soul. And, and joy, on the other hand, resides in the spirit, the part of us that lives forever. There's the major difference between joy and happiness. Joy in your spirit, it goes on and on and on. Here, let me give you another context. Happiness is dependent on circumstances, but joy is independent of circumstances. doesn't matter what's going on. If I've got the joy of the Lord in my life, doesn't matter if all, all things are going chaotic. Listen, the joy in my life is constant because it's not based on circumstances. It's based on Jesus. Amen. C.S. Lewis said it like this: Joy is the serious. It, it, joy is the serious business of heaven. It is serious business in heaven. I love that. A Christian cannot have real joy except in a proper relationship with Jesus. Okay, you, you say I'm struggling with my joy. Well, you know what? Make sure that your relationship with Jesus is is is, is proper and that it, it is correct. Now, how many know the old acronym for joy? I, I love this. I'll take you back to Sunday school, all right? We're going back to second grade Sunday school class, all right? Hello, class. Welcome to Sunday school, okay? Um, but the old acronym for joy is this, J-O-Y, right? J-O-Y. Number one, J, Jesus. Right? How many remember that? I remember this acronym. All right, there's a few of you. Some of you have been in Sunday school. All right, jo joy, uh, Jesus. So here's the thing. When we put Jesus first, when we make him the fountainhead 
uh, uh, of the joy and first place in our lives, guess what? We will, we will see joy. Despite your circumstances, you'll begin to see joy. Here's the second thing, the O right here. Everyone say others. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, that's you. All right. As we have all learned or will learn is this, uh, this life is miserable when we focus on ourselves. When you make it all about yourself, guess what? You won't have a lot of friends because they'll be like, man, they're just self-centered. It's always about them. It's always this. and Right? Come on, somebody. When you are constantly catering to ourselves, come on, we're constantly analyzing ourselves and worried about ourselves. You know what? You live, you live. Listen, I, I, Jesus is a perfect example of this in his servanthood. Jesus came uh, not to be served but to serve. And if you can get in your mind that you have a purpose on this life, in this life, and that purpose is for others. It's not just about you. I know we live in a narcissist society. I know we live in a society that's like me, 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 right? We have iPhones and I this and I that and I this and all, right? Everything's me focused, right? What can I get? Black Friday, everyone punching each other so they can get the best deal, right? We're trampling on each other. Me, 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 I, I, I. You know, true joy starts treating others like you would treat yourself. You know, I've told this story before, and, and I don't have very many stories, so I'll just, I'll just keep telling the same ones. But I, I've told this story where uh, in, in Dallas, when I was serving as youth pastor, I took someone to the airport, and I stopped at a convenience store to get some gas. And, and while I'm getting gas, I, I went in, and, and this young lady caught me in the parking lot. She had a baby, a toddler, and she said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to escape a... Uh, abusive relationship. She was in tears, and she goes, I don't know you, but can you help me? Can you, I, I don't want gas money. I just need some food for my baby. I'm just trying to get from point A to this place to up, up the road here, and I just need some food for my baby. And I was I was sitting there, and I was like, uh, uh, well, yeah, I guess I could do something. So I go inside, and, and I just start grabbing the cheapest thing in there, and the Holy Spirit stopped and checked me and said, would you buy this for your babies? Okay, God. And I went outside and I said, hey, come here. I said, you get whatever you want for your baby here. You grab what, what you want for your baby here and don't worry about it. You just get what, what your baby likes. And, and, and she, was all, she was so grateful and I was able to pray for her. It was, a, it was a cool moment for me, but it was such a hard lesson for me to learn. It's not about me. It's about others. Amen. I remember one time I went to a baseball game in, in Anaheim and uh, we left the baseball game at the end of the game, Anaheim Angels, and we left the, the parking lot, and I don't know, something, my stomach was bothering me, and I got, my stomach was upset, and I don't know if you've ever left a baseball game, it's not very easy to get out of the parking lot, and my stomach was upset, how many have ever been there before, maybe not a baseball game, but you've been there like, man, I, I have got to find somewhere really fast, really soon, I looked at my brother-in-law, I was like, hey, I've got to find somewhere really fast, and I'll never forget, he's like, man, I don't know what's around here, I said, I don't care what it is, just stop somewhere. And so we found like this McDonald's and we stopped and, and I went in there and, and there was one, one, you know, stall and somebody was in there and I was like, dear Lord, help me right now. I'm sweating, you know. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to be gross. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, and this guy walks in and he goes, is somebody in there? And I go, yeah. And he goes, and he's sweating. And he's looking at me. He goes, man, uh, let's play rock, paper, scissors. Who goes next? I said, no way. That was one of the times I was selfish. I'm not going to lie. 
But but life is about others, others. Not not in that case it wasn't, but 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 life is about others. I don't know why I told that story. I st- I don't even know why I said that. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know where that came from. Joy. Right? Joy. See, you're not the only one. The last one, and the why is you. Everyone say you. It's the last last one in, in this um, acrostic in the, the equation. And instead of worrying about myself, but thinking of ways I can I can die to myself daily. How can I make someone else's day better? And what can I do? And this is what happens when we when we do that. Joy will reign in your spirit when you when you begin to focus. You begin to love on other people. And you do what you can do. Listen, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. My neighbor, I don't know how old he is, probably in his 70s. But when it snows, and we and I don't have any way to have a pretty long little driveway, when it snows, he comes over with his truck in his, in his late 70s, and he always clears my driveway so I can get out. And, and but you know that's thinking about others. It's not focused on hey, how can I how can I bless you? How can I make your life a little bit easy? Amen. I love that. So the world, uh, you know, there's an old song that says the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. That's the way joy works. God gave it to me. So circumstances in this world should not affect my joy as a, as a child of God. Amen. So don't let your situation steal your joy because there's a bigger picture, and one day God. Is going to make it right, Amen. So, so here's uh, verse five. This is the this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And so, light here refers refers to God's moral character. It doesn't doesn't mean that the light that is shining from it. It, it means God's moral character. And and John says there is no dark side to God. Okay. That means there's nothing negative about him. Come on, somebody. And there's not a, 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 you know, God is a just God. And God, you know, God cares about us. You know, there's a story, right, uh, that that I want to share with you. This kindergartner who was coloring uh, this picture said, Dad, I'm going to uh, get my crayons and I'm going to draw God. And the the, the dad, you know, a little bit older and astute, looked at and said, looked at his, you know, uh, kindergartner and said, hey, uh, no one knows what God looks like. And the, and the kindergartner sit there for a minute, and he goes, well, they will here in a few minutes and begin to draw, right? So, but no one knows what he looks like, but we do know the character of God. He, his moral character is high. He is a holy God. His attributes are, are, are amazing. And, and, and so here's what we know. If you're walking, walking in darkness refers to sin or anything that opposes God, okay? Anything that is the opposite of the moral character of God is darkness. To know, <laughs> to do right and not do it is, uh-oh, man, oh, man. I, don't make me quote James because James, man, he'll come out swinging at you, right? Um, but. Walking in darkness refers to sin or anything that opposes God. It 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 can be it can be sin. It can be uh, a, a, a dark attitude. I mean, there are just different things that that oppose who God is. So dark, uh, uh, a dark, discouraged Christian is actually an oxymoron if you think about it. I'm a Christian, but I'm depressed and I'm sad. And this, 
I think the way God designed you. I'm not saying you can't be discouraged and have moments where you're down and all that. But listen, if you if you're down for like more than two days, you ought to hit the altars and ask God to help you get it turned around really fast. So you say this, well, well, wait a minute, TJ. What about Jesus? You know, in Isaiah 53, 3, it says that he uh, that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Huh, how about that? Well, and we know this, Jesus in Luke 19, 41, it says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. How many remember that? He, he looked and he saw it and he cried. And then and we know in John chapter 11, 35, that, that Jesus wept at, at Lazarus' grave, right? And so, so there was moments. But I want you to look, when Jesus wept, listen, when Jesus cried, when Jesus was a man of sorrows, what was he doing? He was crying for someone else. Oh, you say, well, wait a second. Hang on. Hang on, TJ. What about the Garden of Gethsemane? What about that? When he was there, he, he was crying, and the Scripture says that he was sweating blood, and he was under so much duress. But listen, where he was at in that moment was this. He was thinking about what he was about to do on the cross. And he was thinking about the separation that was about to happen between him and his father, never being separated from him. And for those few moments, he's thinking, man, this is going to be a very tough, tough thing. But can I tell you why Jesus went to the cross? For you, for me, for my sins, and for your sins, and your wrongdoings, and all the dark things that I would do in this life, Jesus said, I will go to that cross for you. So look at this, verse 6 says this, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, I want to say we lie, and we do not practice the truth. So it's interesting that the next four verses contain three contrasts between works and words, okay? That means, you know, how many know that sometimes our words don't match our, you know, our works? Sometimes I, I will be there, and then we don't show up. I will get, anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, I sometimes I make that mistake. Uh, or saying one thing and doing another. Or let me give you another example. A.K.A. hypocrite. You said you were going to do this, and you didn't do it. So you are a hypocrite. Anybody ever been a hypocrite? Come on now. Some of you are being a hypocrite right now, but not, but not raising your hands, right? So look at this. The, 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 the first false claim is to say that you have fellowship with God while failing to reflect his moral character. I have a relationship with God, but your life doesn't reflect that you have a relationship with God. Well, now it's, now it's getting down to the road where the rubber meets the road. So, so this walk is, is what I do on a daily basis, right? I, I talked a little bit about it on Sunday. This daily practice to walk in darkness is to live contrary to God's moral character. And, and or, or let me, a.k.a. to live in sin. That's, that's what it is. To live in darkness is to, to live the opposite of what God have, has made for you. Uh, here's another one. To claim fellowship with God without living a moral life or, or practicing the truth is to live a lie since God cannot compromise his holiness to accommodate sin. God will not compromise his holiness to accommodate your sin. about obedience, about falling into submission to who, who he is. So, so we cannot say, I, I, I'm close to the Lord, and, 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 I'm, and I'm bound up in sin, okay? 
are you walking with me? Come on, walk with me here. Uh, and, and, or I'm walking with Jesus and, and, and I'm at his table or, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just in this struggle of sin. I, I'm in the word, but I, I'm feeling depressed all the time. Listen, God is a God of light. Everyone say, God is a God of light. And John's telling us here we're kidding ourselves if we think we have fellowship with Jesus, but yet we have darkness in us. He's calling it out right here. Verse 7 says this. But if we walk in the light, amen, everyone say walk in the light, as he is in the light, I want you to notice something. When we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? Wait a second. Is that the cure to disunity in the body of Christ? Is it that simple that if we just walk in the light of Jesus Christ that we'll get along? I mean, John makes a pretty hard case here, right? So if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You know why? Because we have the same goal, to get closer to Jesus. And one of the ways we, we know that we have fellowship with God is that we have fellowship one with another. Right? How can we say we love God when we don't love our brother whom we have seen. Right? Hmm. And, and that, that word fellowship in the Greek is, is uh, koinia, and it means partnership or participation and communication or communion. Listen to me. God has designed us to walk in unity and, and communion, and as we grow together, as we grow together, we ought to be just walking in the unity of God. That doesn't mean that sometimes we're not going to rub each other wrong every once in a while. Amen? It's going to happen sometimes. We're all from different backgrounds. We all have some, some different, I mean, honestly, if I said, well, I can give you a prime example. How many of you guys like Coke in the building? How many of you guys like Pepsi? All right. How many of you guys like root beer? How many of you don't drink soda? All right, so 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 look look at this. I mean, honestly, so we all have our different preferences, right? How many like Dr. Pepper? I got to throw that one out there. I got to hear it for sweet tea. All right, coffee. Oh, praise the Lord, man! I saw the hands go up right there. You that you know what? We should just end right there. I'm just kidding. But John thirteen thirty five says this: By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. And you know how you're going to have love for one another? Have this relationship right, and these relationships will get right. Amen? Amen. Not by how much you go to church. Come on, somebody. Not how much you pray. Not how often you speak in tongues. But generally, how you love one another. You want to show the world that you are a child of God? Begin to show them by how you love those around. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. So, so if we are fully in the light, uh, our hearts will be full of joy. Everyone say full of joy. Therefore, all right, Pastor's about to hit, hit a good point here. Therefore, we won't gossip, find fault. But look at this next verse, uh, or next part of this verse. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what? Say some sin. 
counseling. So the Greek word uh, for cleanses, it clearly speaks of this. And I love this. The, the word cleanses there means to continually cleanse. Not just once, but continually cleaning. It kind of reminds me of some of you moms who do the dishes, and then you have kids, and then all of a sudden there's more dishes in the sink. You're like, I just did these dishes. Or you're doing laundry, right? You're like, I got all the laundry done. And then all of a sudden there's more laundry, and it's this continual cycle, right? Some of you ladies are like, praise the Lord, amen. But let me tell you what happens with us. The blood of Jesus continually is working, continually cleansing. Our, it doesn't stop. Look at this, Romans 6, 1 through 2 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I like Paul's writing here. He says, by no means. How can we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? What he's saying is this. Just because we have grace in our life does not mean that we should willfully sin. So how can you willfully sin and and still believe and, and that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So the message, I, I love this. The message translation says it like this. We left the sovereign land of sin. Why do we still have a house there? I, I, I love the simplicity of that. We left that the, 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 the land of sovereign sin. Why? Why in the world do I still have a house there? I'm not there anymore. I am a new creation. And even though we are free from sin, the, here's what we need to understand. That, you know, God will forgive your sins, but they, the, there are, the sin has uh, uh, repercussions. And they're still there. Right? God will forgive you of your sins, but there are repercussions to sin. Let me give you an example right here. If you were to murder someone. God will forgive you for murdering someone, but the justice system is going to do what it's supposed to do, right? How about this? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says this, Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So if you sow sin, God will forgive you, but there is going to be a reaping of that sin. Let me give you another one. There are no exceptions to this rule. Let me tell you why. Numbers 32, 23, the back part of this verse says this. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sins will find you out. Not sometimes will find you out. Not, not perhaps will find you out. They will find you out. And when it does... This is what happens when sin comes along. It brings a pain. It brings terrible circumstances and sometimes lifelong uh, uh, repercussions. Look at this, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this is interesting. The second false claim here is that, that, we, that we have no sin. Someone would say, hey, I... I'm a good person, and, and, and honestly, I, I, when we were going to minister up at Bloomington, I, I was telling everyone how to lead someone to Christ, and I said, you know, we, we have to know, the first thing we have to do is admit, admit that we are a sinner. That's the first thing is, listen, I, I live in a fallen world, and how do you do that with somebody? You, you ask them, say, hey, have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? Have you ever lied? I have. Okay, or they say this, I'm a good person, and I, I, I should go to heaven. Well, whose standard are you holding yourself up to? Is it your standard? Because God's standard is not the same as your standard. God is a just God, and you have to meet his, his standard. And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is this, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why I need a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. So the second false claim is that we have, you know, some people say, hey, I have no sin. The Gnostics were saying that they had no sin. It's not me sinning. It's, it's just my body. And our society says that there are no absolutes. Come on, somebody. Right? And, and what's, what's wrong for you is not nece- necessarily wrong for me. It's not what the Bible says. And I'm not perfect, you know. Some people would say, I'm not perfect, but, but I'm no sinner, you know. And, I, and my question to them is this, by whose standard? Because if you're judging yourself, nobody judges themselves fairly, right? Very few people. We'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt usually, but when we judge someone else, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, throw down the gauntlet. But look at this. John is saying this. Any person in any culture in any time who says, I'm not a sinner, is only deceiving themselves. We have to recognize that God's grace, listen, for God's grace to work in our life, I have to understand that I need his grace. And to know that, I have to know that, hey, I have sinned and I have wronged God. Look at this, Second Chronicles 6.36 says this, for there is no one who does not sin. John 9.41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But you, but now you say, we see, therefore, your sin Remains. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees there. So the truth of God's revelation is the opposite. To say that you have no sin is to say you don't need a Savior. I don't have any sin. Well, then what you're really saying is, narcissist, I, I got this. I don't need you, Jesus. Which would be, uh, which would make, the, you know, if you think about this, would, would make the coming of the Lord unnecessary for you, right? This is interesting. Look at this. Verse, verse 9 says this. Oh, come on, somebody. I like this one right here. If we what? If we what? You see the context of of this whole chapter right here? If we confess our sins, he is what? And what? To what? Of our. And to what? From all. Hmm. Tell the Lord, hey, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. God. And listen, there's days that we're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes. Uh, look at this. Ver- verse 10 says this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, talking about the Lord. And his word is not in us. But look at this. John, when, when he normally uses we in scripture, he's talking about the disciples typically. But here he's speaking about him. Uh, well, he's usually talking about him and all the other disciples, but here he's talking about uh, uh, if we confess, he's talking about him, he's talking about the disciples, he's talking about you, he's talking about me, he's talking about everybody. Everyone say everybody. All right. Here, though, he includes himself in this group. And God says we are, are sinners in need of forgiveness. And and to confess is to agree with him. You know what that, when you admit that you're a sinner, when you confess your sins, you know what you're saying? God, I'm coming into agreement with you. And I admit that I've made some mistakes, and I am in need of your grace and mercy. And there's nobody in this room that is above that right there. We all need God's grace. We all need God's mercy. You know, um, 
to confess is, is to agree with him, to admit we are sinners and we are in need of, uh, of mercy. So if a believer will confess his or her sin to God, he will be and the Lord will be faithful to forgive them of their sins. How many know that God is faithful? How many have seen God faithfully in your life? How many, how many would say, God has been faithful, God has set me free uh, from sins? How many would say, hey, I once was lost, but now I'm found? Amen. How many would say, thank God for the grace of God in my life? Amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. So God is faithful, and his promises are legitimate because God is a just God. If God says he'll do it, he'll do it. Amen. And God uh, can maintain his perfect character. Listen, listen, this is interesting. God can maintain his perfect character and forgive us because of his son's righteousness, the only pure and spotless lamb that came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And in Corinthians, it says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's be only because of Jesus Christ that we can stand here today and say, thank you, Lord. Him and him alone, because by myself, I am nothing. My righteousness is as filthy rags. My best is dirty. No good. And I don't know about you, I, I grew up. You know, in a in, in in and I don't think there's anything. I guess it's just a misunderstanding, maybe, of scripture. You know, I used to constantly feel like that. I constantly had to uh, pray and ask for forgiveness. Anybody, anybody grew up in some kind of household of that? Like, you know, you always felt like if you did something wrong, and you're like, man, I don't want to miss the rapture, right? At least they always preached on the rapture when I was growing up. Right? I always thought I was going to miss it somehow, some way. I didn't want to have any sins of omission inside of me, and I would always confess these sins and. I, and, and, I, and the truth of the matter is this. You, you need to be careful. You need to be careful with that at times. I, you need to confess your sins. Listen to me. You need to confess your sins when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But if you're doing it out of ritual and you're doing it out of this, see, here's what happens. A lot of groups say this. Hey, follow Jesus, and then there's this and thing. Believe on Jesus and, and there's, there's an addition to it. Uh, follow Jesus, and then follow this New Testament that we have over here, right? Somebody know what I'm talking about in here? All right, some of you, I'm not going to say it out loud, all right. Or they say, uh, you know, um, um, follow Jesus, but then, but you need to go confess to somebody, a, a, a priest, and, and, and they can forgive you. But I, if I read this scripture right, guess, man, when I confess to him, he's the one who, who frees me from the curse of skin, sin, not, not any man, not any woman, amen? So look at this. So, so you're saying this, should, should, I, should we confess our sins? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. There's In Ephesians 2.8, it says this, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, okay? Listen, you need to get that in your heart. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. So just, you know, your confession, the addition to it, you don't want to make it a works-based thing. Are you hearing me? You don't want to make it a works-based thing, but it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's what God has given you. It's, it's all about him, and it's not a result of works so that no man can boast. I'm not saying that you shouldn't confess your sins. You ought to let the Holy Spirit lead you if you feel in your heart. Man, I've got something that I just need to let go. Holy Spirit, help me. God, purify my mind. Purify my heart. God, make this right. 
God, please forgive me for my sins and my wrongdoing. God, I believe you are Lord. Amen. So, so here's, here's what I know. Sin wipes us out. The wages of sin is what? Right? And people say Christianity is, you know, you hear this, you know, you, you Christians, it's, Christianity is just a crutch. Anybody ever heard that? Can I tell you something? Christianity is a crutch. It's a stretcher. It's an ambulance. And it's a hospital. And I've been in all those places. You know, I'll give you an example. If I, if I, if Kristen was to walk out into the road and be hit by a bus, she didn't know I was going to say that, and she's there flattened on the road, and I walk out there, and I'm like, Kristen, are you okay? Uh, you know. And I'm like, should I call an ambulance? No, that's for the weak. That's for the weak. You know, I don't need an ambulance. Should I, should I call for some help? No, that's for the weak. Absolutely. That's the blood of Jesus is for the weak, the people that need Jesus. Listen, this church, this church, listen to me, is a hospital. It's a hospital for the hurting. It's a hospital for the weak. All who are weary, you know, come. This is, this is the place. This, this is the place where you become restored. Yeah, I get it. Hey, you know what? I am weak in my own self. I am nothing without Jesus. And it's only by his grace that I stand here right today. It's only by God's grace because sin plowed me, but the grace of God came along and picked me up and put me on a stretcher, threw me in an ambulance, took me to a hospital, and made things right. And I stand here today only by the grace of God. So in the context of Scripture, we are, we are confessing that indeed our, that we are born into sin and we need redemption through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. Come on, sing that. Oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, sing it again. Say, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white. As snow. Come on, if you've been washed by him, come on, can you just love on him right now? Can you stretch your hands towards heaven and begin to thank him in this place? How many are grateful that God changed you a sinner? How many are thankful that Jesus came along and he made things right and he stood in the gap for you? Come on, just begin to praise him in this moment. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your mercy. 
God, we're thankful for your grace. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our walk, God, to understand what it is, the joy of the Lord, that it is our strength, Lord, that it will get us through hard times. Lord, that when we feel like giving up, God, Lord, that it will keep us going because, God, you get the final word. God, I pray right now, Lord, that we would be reminded, Lord, that you are light, Lord, and there is no darkness in you, God, and that our moral character, God, would equivalent to what you are, God, that we live this life as righteous as we can, Lord, that we would walk in the authority that you've given us. And, God, I pray right now, Lord, that as we confess things to you, God, maybe in this moment, God, we may need to confess some things to you. We may need to repent some things to you in this moment. But, Lord, you are faithful. God, you are faithful, Lord. Lord, you are faithful to answer those things, God, and you turn those sins around, God. Lord, you begin to change things, God. You make things right. Only you could take a heart that's black with sin, wash it in red blood, and make it white as snow. And, God, we thank you for this. God, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.